Shankly Kids. I heard a copy calling. Hello and welcome to the Cop Table Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Phillips. Tonight alongside me is Peter Collis. You're all refreshed, P, from your uh, your week's break off the pods. I am, mate, yeah. Ready to go. Excellent stuff. On uh, tonight's show, representing Leicester, is our friend Rob Hayes. Rob is a commentator for the visually impaired at the King Power Stadium, host of the uh, the fantastically named For Fox Sake podcast. Back on the show once again, Rob, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Third time looking with you guys, so thanks for having me back. You're very welcome. On the, the Liverpool side of things tonight, making his debut on the Cop Table podcast, we have Jay Mooney. Jay is a lifelong Red. He's previously contributed to the uh, This Is Anfield pod and says he is uh, fortunate to, to remember what a standing only cop feels like. Jay uh, likes to race cars in his spare time and you can see more about Jay on his website at uh, jmooneyracing.co.uk. So welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks very much, Peter. Appreciate the, the racing plug there as well. I wasn't expecting that, but um, yeah, pleased to be here. Thanks for the invite. You're very welcome. Okay, starting off with you then, Rob. Leicester started the season. Have you been impressed with Leicester? Or have you been a little bit underwhelmed considering the highs that you you guys experienced last season? I've been more impressed as the season's gone on. To be honest, it yeah. started, started quite slowly. Uh, we looked very rusty, I think, against Hull and lacked a fair bit of energy. The Arsenal game was a, a vast improvement and they were the only team that did the double on us last season. So to get a clean sheet in the first point of the season was great there. And I think we were on top for most of it against Swansea in some difficult conditions. So, I mean, after the whole game, I was disappointed, but I wasn't too worried. I, I think uh, things have got a little bit better for us. They'll have a lot more time in training during the international uh, break at the moment and, and we'll come back... Uh, at the weekend against you guys and hopefully give you a decent game. Yeah, one or two um, guys away on international duty as well. But um just like to ask you, Rob, how important was it for Leicester to keep hold of um, Jamie Vardy and, and uh, Riyad Mahrez? Yeah, Vardy was a massive one because he epitomises everything that we do. The, the sort of the through balls for, for the pace, the work rate, the kind of a lot of players that we've brought to prominence through our team success uh, uh, sort of washed up or didn't succeed at the various levels that they were applying their trade at. So he kind of epitomises it. Maris brings that bit of magic that a, a lot of other players don't have. Uh, obviously, we lost Kante. And I think if I'd have had to have kept two out of the three, it's a relatively controversial opinion amongst a lot of Leicester fans. But I'd have rather have kept Kante and Vardy and seen Maris go. I, I really think Kante was that important for us. Excellent. Thanks very much. That Rob, go on then, pay over to Jay. Yeah, Jay, just same question for you, really. What Peter asked there, Rob, what have you made of Liverpool's start of the season? It's been interesting. I think in a most recent interview with Jurgen Klopp, I think it was after the Spurs game, he kind of summed it up by saying, we've got four points out of a possible nine. It's not great, but it is what it is kind of thing. And I think that kind of sums it up. I think the highs of the opening game and the absolute barnstormer at the Emirates against Arsenal was great. Obviously not the best start, just brilliant to watch, wasn't it? And then um, obviously from there, the debacle at Burnley, which I think we want to forget as quickly as we can. You know, that was a pretty big low for us. Yeah, so obviously then moving on from, from the Burnley game to the Spurs game, obviously we're disappointed to come away with a point there because I think it was, it, for about 55 minutes of the game, we really took it to them there and potentially deserve more from that. So 
it's not ideal. It's it's a win, a draw, and a loss. And I think you know we would have liked to have really taken some of the performance of the Spurs game straight into the following weekend. But obviously the international breaks come along, and it's you know I think <laughs> no one re- really enjoys international breaks, especially three games into the, the start of a new season. I think this one in particular is about as, as well timed as the Lucas Leiva challenge on the platform of our own uh, penalty box. But um, you know the main thing is I think everyone's come back unscathed, and, and we we look to to the weekend to obviously try and put the positives from the performances so far into one one strong 90 minutes, hopefully. Yeah, touching on that, um, sorry, on the Tottenham game, how impressed were you with Joel Matip's debut? I think Kara summed up quite well in his analysis, actually. I think he grew into the game. I think the first 20 minutes or so, he looked a bit edgy, but then you can't blame him, really. He's come into the strongest league, potentially, in the world. And it's his first game for us in a red shirt in, in the league. And I think he soon found his feet and he soon started to get a bit more adventurous. You know, you could see him moving forward with the ball. He's He's been likened to that kind of Danny Agger role at the centre-back. He likes to have the ball at his feet and actually, you know, move forward. So I think it was pretty promising. Um, I think the partnership he struck up with Lovren was promising as well. So I think it's, it's, it's a positive sign. And I think, you know, he'll take that into the next game against Leicester and start hopefully alongside Lovren again and, and build on that. And that's what we need desperately, isn't it, really? Yeah, it is, definitely, yeah. Um, also, what do you make of... Klopp's decision to persist with James Milner at left-back and not dip into the market in the summer? It's a tough one. I think he, he's obviously a very strong-minded character and he's, t- he's obviously seen a lot of the feedback that uh, us Reds give on social media in particular about that. And um, I think he'll be judged at the end of the season. And I think it's quite telling he started Milner at left-back um, for the last few games. And uh, I think he's going to look to continue that. He's obviously you know, mentioned about how he, he doesn't need to dip into the market. He can see Milner as an all-round footballer and he can play there. And Milner's come out saying he's learning as fast as he can. So I think, I think there's obviously a lot to improve there. It's a new role for him but I think obviously by having some continuity and starting games there he's going to pick it up he's got a very intelligent footballing brain James Milner which I think is very underrated and like many fans I'd like to see an established left back come in if nothing else just to give a bit of cover because I don't really have full confidence in Moreno as yet I think he's going to take a lot of coaching but I see you know Milner starting there on, at the weekend and, and trying to build on it and as I say, I saw him at Barcelona in the pre-season friendly at Wembley and he was he was quality against a strong Barcelona side. So he's got it in him. I think he just needs a yeah. run against there. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, yeah I think um, it'll suit him as well against Leicester with, with Mares being a left-footer playing on the right-hand side and Milner being a, a right-footer playing on the left-hand side. They pretty much even each other out, don't they? So yeah, that's it's it. Gonna, it's going to be like, like a left-wing battle on the right wing. Yeah. Back over to you then, uh, Rob. How much effect do you think it will have on Leicester's season having to contend with Premier League as well as the Champions League mixed in with that this season? It's a new challenge. Obviously, we've not a lot of time in Europe at yeah. all. Champions League debut this this season, but we've added to the squad. We've added a few bodies. Uh, we've got a couple of youngsters who are looking better and better. We kept hold of Ben Chilwell, who was linked, I think, a little bit with Liverpool and Arsenal during yeah. the summer as our reserve left back. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what kind of teams he puts out in the Champions League because Ranieri did a lot of rotation when we played League Cup and FA Cup in between Premier League games last season. Uh, but I think the bonus is the fact that our away trips, none of them are too far. We've got Bruges, Porto and Copenhagen. Not not really. It's not as bad as going out to sort of Russia or Ukraine or anything like that. And all of our away trips are followed by a, a relatively decent home game. So I think travel-wise and tiredness wise it's been kept to the minimum that it possibly can be which is, which will only serve as well yeah also staying with you then Rob obviously N'Golo Kante you lost him to Chelsea but how much of a loss is, is Steve Walsh the guy you who left there for Everton yeah the the head of recruitment Steve Walsh it's yeah. um it's a big one because a lot of the players who uh, who have done so well in our squad were Steve Walsh purchases he was 
so good behind the scenes. Uh, and he came in a sort of trio with Nigel Pearson and Craig Shakespeare uh, the first time that they came to the club. And then they, they all came back as a trio the second time as well. Some of the players that he's unearthed for for the ridiculously small amounts of money that he's paid from them have been unreal. I mean, Maris cost us less than half a million from the French second division. That 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 kind of signing has proved so crucial. So losing him is a big one. But I think I think now we've got more money and a bigger status. Transfer dealings in some ways can be a bit easier because we've got the money and we don't necessarily need to unearth so many bargains but it could also be a negative in the sense that people know that we've got a lot of money know who we are as the Premier League champions and we'll try and add 5-10 million onto the price tags as we saw with Slomani on on deadline day so we'll we'll have to wait and see but yeah it's a it's a big blow sort of behind the scenes definitely excellent cheers Rob right then Jay back over to the Liverpool side of things what are your thoughts on the Mamadou Sarko situation and do you think it was a bad decision for him to decide not to go out on loan it was one of those things that kind of kept us as Reds fans entertained up to the end of the transfer window, wasn't it, really? Because we kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that Norm was really going to be coming in. Um, it was only going to be guys going out. And it was kind of that bit of drama that we didn't have. Failed drugs test last season and obviously the issue out on tour in America where he got sent home. So there's some, some bits behind the scenes there he's trying to iron out. And I can see why he's done what he's done. He's trying to stamp some authority on the squad. And you know everyone sees him in the press as a bit of a jovial character. You know He likes to have a, a joke and he's, he's full of um, amusing anecdotes. And, and the way he controls himself on the on the touchline is always amusing. But I think he needs to obviously. We don't see what happens behind the scenes, but this is obviously how he he, he keeps sort of uh, um, control, if you like, over you know squad morale and everyone working together. And I think it's an interesting stance Sacco took. I don't know if he was advised on it whether he should stay and fight, but obviously it could have gone one of two ways. It either shows. Klopp that he he's determined to win him back round and he's not prepared to take the easy road out but on the other side will it have angered Klopp potentially that he's taken that stance um I think time will tell obviously I think when we may get the odd injury um we're not overly you know blessed with I think top quality on the back four uh, we've got obviously Clavens come in as well as Matip and I think Matip's going to start cementing himself as a starting centre-back but it only takes an injury or two and we start looking at who's back there. And I think you look at people like, he, he likes to play Lucas there. He likes Joe Gomez, but Joe Gomez is coming off the back of a, a long-term injury. He's going to take time. You know, he may have wanted to go out on loan at some point in the next window, potentially. So we know Sacco's proven in a premiership. Not everyone loves him. He tends to split the camp. Some people think he's ungainly the way he plays. And actually, actually, he's quite effective. The stats show that. So I'm quite glad that he's there. It may show that he's got the bit between his teeth. He's a very very passionate guy on the pitch and he wears his heart on his sleeve and I think when he does get opportunity potentially he'll want to really take that and show Klopp this is why I stayed and you need me here potentially Yeah I think an interesting thing is somebody put it on Twitter the other day a report from a journalist when Liverpool did sign Sarko from Paris Saint-Germain they touched on that he did seem to have a bit of an attitude problem he was quite cocky and also they touched on when he was at Paris Saint-Germain that he struggled with his weight and that Carlo Ancelotti basically tried to give him a fitness regime and he failed to comply with it. And that's why Mamadou Sarko ended up at Liverpool. So it seems like he's fallen back into his old ways and maybe that's why Klopp is so angry with him and wanted to put him out on loan to prove himself. I didn't know about the weight issue and it's strange really because when it broke about him having the um th- th- this in his system, you, you kind of looked at him and thought, he's 
probably one of the, the few players you'd think, why would he have that issue? You know, he's, yeah, he's yeah. always seems really lean and really ripped, to be honest. So it was a strange one. But um, I can kind of see where, where that may have come from in regards to his attitude. He, is, he does seem to like to be a bit of a, a character and a bit of a, almost like a squad clown. And you see all the, uh, the pictures and the videos he did. So maybe he just needed to rein that in, to be honest, and, and Klopp needed to obviously just put down a, a level of authority on that. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, how, how that pans out over the course of the season, whether it's, it's angered Klopp or whether you know he does get a chance to obviously come back in and, and show him that actually you know he, he can do a job and you know he will knuckle down yeah what do you make of the goalkeeping situation yeah do you think when Carius is fit he'll come back in and be number one or can you see Mignolet keeping his place I do to be honest I think Klopp's got a plan I think that's evident with the Milner position at the minute I think he knows what he wants and I think he's probably really gutted that Carrius got that injury because I think he would have been starting for us I think we saw this week he's ahead of schedule at the minute in terms of yeah. the uh, recovery on his hand which is great and I think he's he's doing light training but nothing on obviously on his injured hand so that's going to happen in the next week or two I'm not quite sure what game he may be targeting but um, I'm really keen to see him come in he was bought in as our number one and I think you know you look back last season it's evident that's the first area we needed to up grade and fair play to, to Mignolet in the games he's played he's, he's been okay um, I think it was quite telling he wasn't too troubled against Spurs which again makes it even more galling that we didn't take all the points there to be honest but it, it spoke a lot about our back line he didn't have too much to do but he can come in and show flashes of you know some great shots um, shot stopping ability I think it's just the little errors he makes and yeah I think over the course of the season again it's great to have him as a number two I think you know yeah. Spurs showed having Vorm as their number two he, he had a pretty decent game against us and it's always yeah, really good. important to have them there so I think he'd be a good number two I'm not sure if you'll see that as his role in the long term he's probably got ambitions to be a number one somewhere so we'll see but um, yeah I'm looking forward to seeing Karius he's come with a, a good reputation in the Bundesliga and I think you know Klopp's no fool he's, he's obviously starting for some time and he's keen to make him number one yeah, he has come with a big reputation. Touching on goalkeepers, Rob, have you seen much of Robert Zeller since he signed for the Foxes? He played some of the, the game against Barcelona over in Stockholm. I went out to that. I wish I was working, but I wasn't. I was on a jolly. Yeah, he's, he's as, as you say, he's he kind of proves the, the reason why it's good to have a number two. And I think he's probably one of the best number two goalkeepers that we could have picked up in the market. Yeah. For that kind of price as well, I think he was he was under five million. I think four point something million. He's got experience at the top level in the Bundesliga. Uh, was a World Cup winner with Germany as a, as the third choice keeper in their in their squad. You don't get an international call up without being pretty decent. Uh, he doesn't hold as much as I'd like, but then Kasper Schmeichel's handling is pretty decent. Uh, but he's a he's a very very able backup, and I'm and I'm glad we've got him because last season we had the pensioner that was Mark Schwarzer, so yeah, yeah. it was definitely an area that we needed to improve. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with Zeeler, but I think Schmeichel is intending to be fit for the weekend, so hopefully we don't see too much of Zeeler. He had a good last two years, Mark Schwarzer, didn't he? Went to Chelsea, yeah, sat on the bench, didn't he? How old was he? Forty, got a league winner's medal, and then went to Leicester, forty one, and got another league winner's medal. Yes, not bad. Not a bad end to the twilight of your career. Though, no, it's it? not, is it? Yeah, you've done very well. Certainly did. Um, I'd just like to ask you, Rob. How do you see things panning out for Leicester this season? Do you think with the squad they've got now, they can actually put in another title challenge, or do you think a top four position is more of a realistic target this season, or, or would you be happy for them to just sort of to hold their own this year and have a good run in the Champions League? I would be satisfied with top eight and getting out of the Champions League group. I honestly would. I, th- I don't think anything like last season is going to show itself again because I think all of the teams that finished below us have made vast improvements, including yourselves, uh, City, Chelsea, United, 
they will all be much, much better and they'll all pick up at least 15 more points than they did last season, probably. We'll struggle to, to match that, obviously, with the added pressure and time pressure of playing midweek at least six times in the Champions League. But as I say, top eight and to get out of the Champions League group, we'd we'd be happy with anything higher than that. And and I think we'd have had a really good season. Excellent stuff. Back over to uh, to yourself, Jay. I'd just like to ask you, what do you think on these uh, the rumours of the investment from the Chinese consortium do you think that'd be a be a wise move by FSG or do you think you can see like a, a bit part play by them um it's interesting seeing a lot of conflicting stories obviously going through social media about what was actually put on the table what maybe hasn't been put on the table is it a percentage investment is it a full-on takeover planned the sort of numbers that they're talking about are impressive and I think it's the kind of thing that you can see as time goes on over the coming years would put us on a sort of almost a level playing field with some of the other guys who are spending a lot of money at the moment um but I think from what I've read it's probably more likely going to be an initial investment with a view to maybe be naming a stand and that kind of thing and it's hard to say what kind of benefit we'll see in, in that short term because everyone's kind of jumping on the assumption that by having all this investment we'll plow it straight into the first team squad and I just don't think that'll happen because you, you look at what Klopp did in the transfer window this summer and he has money you look at I don't want to say the dreaded net spend because everyone seems to be really on top of that and, and make a big deal of it but we obviously had a massive clear out and, and got good money for a change. And, you know, we're not really touched the TV money, if you like. So it's there for Klopp. FSG have said it's there for Klopp. And I don't believe that they're, you know, tying his hands together at all. I think if he wanted to spend, he could do. But you look at his model in Dortmund and what he's doing now, he's pretty much mirroring the same thing. Um, he's been pretty adamant that why would he go out and spend all this money when um, he's got good players to work with here, who only spend on the best players that he thinks will actually improve the first eleven. So, on the investment side, in terms of obviously getting us onto a, a sort of financial platform going forward is is always positive. But then you start to ask questions about what's FSG's longer term plan. Um, a lot of people questioning, are they looking for a way out? Obviously, I think the, uh, the sort of increase in on their investment they've seen already um, in terms of our latest valuation is pretty impressive. And that's obviously what they're looking for as a business. But in terms of, you know, a lot of fans are questioning, is their heart in, in to actually improving the, the club and, and putting us forward? Are they just looking for an investment, getting out and selling on to the next guys? I'm not so cynical. I think, you know, they do care about what we do. I think they're looking for a bit of financial investment to, to help get us into a better position. I think only time will tell if that's going to be a longer term sell to the, the highest bidders or if it's just going to be that. And, you know, let's, let's get some more guys on board because they've been pretty astute with their commercial dealings since they've taken over, to be honest, to get us in a position where we are. So it may just be another one of those. Yeah, I, I agree there with when you were talking about the investment side of things and mm. money money is available for, for Jurgen Klopp to to spend if he wants to. And yeah. at this moment in time, he, he he's reluctant, isn't he? he? He doesn't see that there's there's value in the market. He thinks that the prices are very overinflated and, and he's not going to spend sort of stupid money unless he, he believes like like he did with Mane. Exactly. He played 32 million for him and it, it looks like he, he's going to be worth uh, every every penny spent. But like you say, um, Jurgen Klopp's not going to be stupid enough to go out and pay 30, 40 million pounds for, for someone who, who's going to be He's not going to produce the goods that he wants, and he is someone that he can't like bring along. Mm. And Liverpool got the fingers burned, didn't he, with Mario Balotelli at the end of the end of the last transfer window, where they splashed out sixteen million pound. And I think a lot of lessons have been learned from FSG on that 
on that side of things. So yeah, moving on. If they, if they do get the investments, I, I, I agree with what you're saying there, Jay. There still won't be much movement as a, with big transfer fees and things like that. It'll be more players who are more like under the radar, people who have who are looking to who are hungry, who are looking to progress and not the finished article. If you like, what do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think. There's two things I want to touch on there. I think the first, with Everbright, I think that deal deal buy a stake in the club or, as Jay said, they, they may get the naming rights for the main stand. But I think it could be an Arsenal situation where over the course of time they'll eventually mm. offer more. They'll offer, say, for a 25% stake in the club, 35 and then they'll become like the majority shareholder of the club. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think when a company with the sort of money they're talking about are worth £640 billion, I can't see a company like that wanting to be a shareholder of, say, 10% of Liverpool Football Club. I think they'd want to be the main men and take sole control of the club and run it. And also, um, when we were touching on them with Klopp, everybody knows Jürgen Klopp's past track record at Dortmund. And when Brendan Rodgers was sacked, we all screamed for Jürgen Klopp. We all called for him. When he arrived, we were saying, what a great appointment. And we all knew how Jürgen Klopp worked. He'd look, he'd scout the market, he'd have... His two assistants looking at players from their from their own native countries, and we've seen that with like uh, Marco Grujic. We got him for five million, and we all said, "What a steal he's going to be." But fans, as the transfer window went on, were getting impatient and saying, mm. "Why aren't we spending X amount? Why aren't we going for him?" United have paid X amount for Pogba. We all knew how Jurgen Klopp worked when he when we appointed him, and we were all made up with that. So for me, some fans need to realise how we, how Jurgen Klopp works. That's that's how he wants to build a football side by paying five, six, seven million for players and making them world class players. Liverpool are in the situation where we can attract world class players at the moment. Mm. We've got to create our own world class players and make them that. And yeah. Then also, when people are going on about the net spend, when we touched on it, then we were all absolutely made up when we were getting rid of Jordan Ive for 15, 16 million, getting 32 million back for Ben Teke. Now, when you're seeing Klopp in his first season at Dortmund, I'm sure he got rid of something like 24 players. Mm. And we were all going, that's what we need. We need to cut our squad, get rid of the deadwood. Now, when he's done that, um, but he brought in about 80, 90 million from selling players, certain fans are up in arms again then. <laughs> so we've made 90 million, we need to spend like another 90 million. It, it, it's not going to work like that. We all know how Jürgen Klopp is, his philosophy on football. His philosophy on transfers, he said that he'd rather spend time coaching players than buying players. Yeah, and no, I completely agree. And I think some, some, especially Liverpool fans, is we're not known for our patience, especially over recent years. And I think that's one thing that, that Klopp will need from us, to be honest. Like you say, he, he's just signed a long-term contract. He's not looking for, you know, we're not going to win the league in our first season. And that may hurt some Reds to accept that. But let's face it, that's exactly the model he had at Dortmund. It's, it, he's got a long-term plan. It's going to be over the next five to six years. And he's almost getting beaten with the stick of actually getting value in a transfer market, like you say. Yeah. You know, getting the likes of Carrius and Matip and Gritch that we have done for, for the values we have and not overspending. It's almost like, well, it's great, but why aren't we spending tens of that, uh, millions of pounds? You think, well, what do you want? Do you want us to have a good financial footing and decent players or do you just want to go and throw multi-millions of pounds after names? Well, so it's, it's like the... I think the worst thing for Jurgen Klopp, and I don't know if Rob will agree with this, was Leicester winning the league last year. A side like Leicester winning it, mm-hmm. I think that made Liverpool fans a lot more, well, a lot less patient. And also, how many times last season did Liverpool fans touch on the Kante, the Mares signings, and they'd say, mm-hmm. "Why don't we sign players like that? Why don't we <laughs> sign players for five, six, seven million? And 
the, the quality. Well, Klopp's trying to do that and, and people are writing the players off saying, no, we need to spend 30, 40 million on players. Yeah. So he can't win, really, can he? That's, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you yeah. that's it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. He's in a it's a situation where he cannot win. If he no. if he does one thing, it's wrong. If he does another thing, it's wrong. So it's <laughs> it's just one of them things. Liverpool fans, like you say, are going to have to just grin and bear it for the for the for the time being, and um, and just let Klopp get on with his work, really, and exactly. and um, enjoy the ride. Exactly, yeah. and that's so what it will be. Someone like Klopp for so long, and now we've got him, and already people are questioning whether we'll see a January transfer window, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, he's a he's an elite manager. It's what we've wanted for so long. So just let him Correct. do what he does. Absolutely spot on. Okay then, lads, what we shall do now, we shall uh, head over to the quiz part of the show. Five questions each, a five-question shootout. Peter, you've got the, the questions for Jay, haven't you? I have. And while while Liverpool's the home team this weekend, Jay will go first, and I've got Rob's questions, all just for you two lads. Uh, the past three podcasts have all gone to a tiebreaker question at the end of the show, so hopefully it won't go to that tonight. But we shall see. So go on then, P. Do you want to uh, ask yep. the first question to Jay? Yeah, Jay, your first question is, who scored the most Premier League goals for Liverpool last season? Was it Daniel Sturridge, Felipe Coutinho or Christian Benteke? Ooh, I've got to tell you the quiz I was dreading most, to be honest. It's uh, Premier League goals. I have a feeling it may have been Phil Coutinho. No, it was actually Christian Benteke. He scored oh, nine, and Sturridge and Coutinho scored eight. Oh. Sorry, Paul. It's okay, so that zero for Jay. And moving on to Rob. First question for you, Rob. In the 15-16 season, who scored the most goals in the Premier League? Leicester from Robert Huth, Leonardo Joa, or Shinji Okazaki? That's a good question. I could tell you who the top scorer was. Can I have that one? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not, Roberto. <laughs> I think everyone in the country knows who our top scorer was. Who's Joe Okazaki? Let's go Okazaki. It's actually Ojoa. Was it? Yeah, he had six, Okazaki five, and Robert Huth got three. So we're nil-nil. Go on, P. Right, who made the most appearances in all competitions out of Roberto Firmino, Nathaniel Klein and Simon Mignolet? Ooh, um, all competitions. Now, I, the only reason that this guy's name springs to mind is because he's generally been the one guy we can rely on because we didn't really cover in that position. I'd, I'd say it might be Nathaniel Klein. I'm sorry again. Oh. It's really Simon Mignolet. <laughs> Nathaniel Klein, 52. Firmino, 49. No one yet to get off the score sheet. Okay, <laughs> then. Right, Rob, your next question is... Along similar lines, in all competitions for Leicester last season, who made the most appearances from N'Golo Kante, Jamie Vardy, or Mark Albrighton? Who, who comes up with these? <laughs> Mr. Phillips himself. Yeah, Mr. Phillips, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Who are we saying? Kante, Vardy, Albrighton? Yeah. I think... Mr. Everpresent, Mr. Dependable, Mr. Average, Mark Albrighton. <laughs> That's correct. Oh, Get that's it. A good answer. 42 appearances in all competitions. Kante 40 and Vardy 38. Mm-hmm. So Rob's off the mark with one. Go on then, Pete. Right then, Jay. Third question. From which club did Liverpool sign Roberto Firmino from? Oh, OK. Now this is where I could potentially get stung because... I know it's Bundesliga and I'm just trying to 
remember which club because it oh hang on a second so yeah i had one in my head and i'm glad i managed to pause because I, I think it was hoffenheim wasn't it good answer it was it was hoffenheim correct yeah that one apiece good answer jay okay then rob your uh, third question from which club did leicester sign gokan inla oh gokan inla the man whose international career we ruined <laughs> <laughs> Poor bloke. Honestly, I've just got to say on Gokkenenlo, what an absolute consummate professional because he couldn't hardly get a sniff, couldn't get up to speed with the Premier League and never whinged once, wanted to fight for his place, never went on loan, never... He was always congratulating his teammates on social media, so top pro. Uh, I can tell you, he's just gone to Besiktas, I know that, but where did we get him from? Oh, what country was he playing in? I think he was playing in Italy, I think. Oh, Italian team... Was he playing for Napoli? Napoli is the correct answer. It's a correct oh, answer. <laughs> Good answer, mate, yeah. Superb answer, that. Two one to Rob, okay. Right then, Jay. Question. Which international side does Ragnar Klavan represent? Uh, very good question, actually, because this was one where I think a lot of Reds were trying to do their research when we were first linked with him because everyone thought, who on earth is this guy? I remembered him when he um, played for Augsburg, actually, against us, so that's probably a good sign when you can record a guy's name from a game like that. But I'm pretty sure it was Eastern Blockway, and I'm pretty sure it was Estonia. Good answer, it is. You represent Estonia. Good answer, Jay. So that's two apiece and uh, Rob's got action in hand. Okay, then. Which international team does Christian Fuchs represent? Well, did he represent? He's just retired. Right, okay, I didn't know uh, that. Uh, he was the captain of Austria. Good answer. 3-2. 3-2, right. You need this one, Jay, to stay in it. Pressure's on. I'm going to get a lot of stick. Right, Daniel Sturridge has 55 goals for Liverpool, but which player in the current squad is closest to him? Is it Felipe Coutinho, Jordan Henderson or Adam Lallana? Crikey, that's a question. So we've got Coutinho, Lallana and Henderson, is that right? That's right, mate, yeah. Uh, I've got a feeling it's one or two and I'm just toying between the two of them. I'm going to say, going to say Coutinho. Good answer, the little magician, yeah. <laughs> three three and Rob's got a question in hand so your final question Rob you need this to take the quiz there are two players in the current Leicester squad with more than 50 goals for Leicester City Jamie Vardy is one but can you tell us who the other one is no pressure then <laughs> no not at all uh, there was a name that sprung straight into my mind and it's purely because he's pretty much the longest serving player and it has to be him I don't think anybody's played for us long enough to get to 50 goals from midfield. Uh, let's go Andy King. Correct. Ah, That's an unbelievable answer, that. 4-3, <laughs> that. 4-3, sorry, mate. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you've won the quiz, Rob. No stealing my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> the only good thing is, though, whoever Apologies. wins the quiz loses the match. <laughs> I'll take that all long. <laughs> yeah, that's the reoccurring theme with, with our quiz. Excellent lads, good answers there. Well, uh, well thought out quiz, and uh, Rob's took the prize on that one. So, um, right lads, okay. Now, what we're going to do is at the end of the podcast, we play an unsigned artist or an unsigned band each week. This week, uh, a band called Glass Caves have been in touch with us. They sent me a little bio about themselves. Glass Caves are a four piece 
Band from Pontefract. The track they have written about uh, tonight called Alive is about touring while out in uh, Scotland and mainly Edinburgh. The song is called Alive and that is by The Glass Caves. City from above, the royal mile, we're walking up, making our way to the mountains out. Late night, we're on our own, getting higher than I've ever known. The rain falls through the night, I'm was alive by glass caves thanks very much to rob and thanks very much to jay for joining us on the cop table podcast of the leicester preview tonight lads thanks very much for having me again thanks guys privileged absolutely fantastic lads okay just before we go we we are going to be on um 
Twitter a lot lately with our um, awards for the football blog awards. If you can follow us on on Twitter and everyone have a little look and you can follow, copy and paste our link to vote for the Cop Table podcast as um, as the award winner in the, the podcast group. So thanks very much to everybody who's listened and that was the Cop Table's preview of the Leicester City game this Saturday at Anfield. Thank you and good night. Oh, 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 oh,